0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and we are recording this week's show on Friday, February 4th, 2022. Drew, did you see that earlier this week Pixar celebrated its 36th anniversary of its founding?
1: I did see that. I said to myself, wow, there is no anniversary too minuscule to celebrate. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: okay, all right. So yes, February third. It really was Lucasfilm just spinning off the graphics group—the guys yeah. who've done the Genesis Effect scene for Star Trek Wrath of Khan. Uh, likewise, the guys who did the stained glass night for Young Sherlock Holmes.
1: Also, Ed Catmull's hand is in Star Trek. There too, we as go. Well. Yeah.
0: There we go. Yeah. Okay.
1: And what I love about this is (laughs) just prior
0: to the the actually spinning it off, there was evidently a meeting where they were trying to decide what to call it. I guess at one point someone was pushing for Pixar, like with an E. Mm. So uh, anyway, we got Pixar with an A. And the only calling card they had at this point was Adventures with Andre and Wally B., It's one of those things where when you watch it today, it's like, wow, you guys are really good at making trees. Right. It wasn't till August of that same year, 1986, that we finally got Luxo Jr. And that was the one that sort of put them on the map. Were you at that SIGGRAPH? No, I was not. That one was held in Dallas. I actually started attending the SIGGRAPHs, I want to say in 88 or 89. Okay. It's an amazing place to go because... Oh, what is the theme park show they do? Oh uh, the attractions expo in right. uh Orlando. Oh yeah, there we go. Basically what's what's amazing about the Attractions Expo is that it's like somebody took the world's greatest theme park, took it up to thirty five thousand feet and then dropped it. I mean, as you walk through the hall, it's like, okay, there's the guy who makes the brakes. There's the guy who makes the cars for the roller coasters. If you're actually paying attention, you get all of these great stories because everyone's got little bits and pieces of things. And SIGGRAPH's the same way. I mean, you'd you'd go to a panel where, again, you know, it's a guy who's, you know, we created this piece of software that can create an entire forest full of coniferous trees. And as the person is talking, off the cuff, they start talking about the film they're working on or the deal they just signed. And you walk away with all of these great stories, but only if you're paying attention and you can connect the dots. But the thing that always kind of intrigued me about Luxo Jr. is it was kind of a recycled idea Mm -hmm. on John Lasseter's part. Because wasn't his student film, the the one he did at CalArts, The Lady in the Lamp, also about a lamp that came to
1: life. Listen, Jim. I don't want to start any rumors or anything, but I think Lassiter had sex with that lamp. I'm just gonna <laughs> say that maybe that was his kink, and that's where okay. that's where it all started.
0: Ah, oh, I was so counting on that Skydance Animation Christmas card. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Totally disregarding, offending executives and companies all over Hollywood. (laughs) Lots to talk about in this week's show, but before we get to the news, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. I know we do this for every single episode of the podcast, but it's true, folks. If you're not following Drew Taylor on social media, you are missing out on some cool stuff. Just earlier today, when Craig McCracken, creator of terrific animated series like *Powderpuff Girls and A Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and my own personal favorite, Wander Over Yonder, I love that Craig reached out to Drew via Twitter to say how much he enjoyed the story that you just wrote for The Wrap, where I guess you and Craig sat down, probably over Zoom, yep. to talk about his latest show, Kid Cosmic, which is about to begin its third and final season yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, Can you talk a little bit about what Mr. McCracken had to say about getting the chance to end Kid Cosmic on his own terms the way he originally envisioned ending the show? Because as I understand it, that's not what happened over at the Disney Channel with Wander Over Yonder.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's tweeted about this a little bit, too, but, you know, he said that they they had just won an Emmy for Outstanding Children's Program. They had mapped out a, a third season, and they just were sort of unceremoniously canceled, and th- this has always kind of hung over him. And so when when Netflix came and said, 30 episodes over three years, can you do it? He said, absolutely, I can do it. And uh, the rest is history. I mean, the the... Finale is really, really wonderful. Um, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch these last six episodes yet, Jim, but uh, it is pretty spectacular and and just such a testament to Craig's amazing vision. Did you see the interview over on
0: TrekMovie.com with Aaron Waltke?
1: No, I don't. Aaron follows me on Twitter, so i should I should reach. We should get him on the show. It, excellent idea, because he's a producer on.
0: Star Trek Prodigy. And remember, I I think it was July of last year, we had Dan and Kevin Higman on the show. They were there to to talk up Trollhunters, Rise of the Titans, and they mentioned in passing that the next show they were working on was Star Trek Prodigy. Well, anyway, Aaron talks about uh, the Higmans who, of course, worked under Guillermo del Toro on his Trollhunters Tales of Arcadia trilogy. But evidently, they took a lot of the lessons they learned on Trollhunters with Guillermo and then applied those to Star Trek Prodigy. Aaron said, From the beginning, we've structured each season of Star Trek Prodigy using a method we devised on Tales of Arcadia with Guillermo del Toro, which in some ways broke new ground in serialized, long-form animated storytelling. Because that series had 52 episodes ordered sight unseen, we were able to be very meticulous about plot and character arcs, finding their endings and midpoints very early on, and planning the episodes accordingly. It's a very, been a very similar process for Star Trek Prodigy, given that we now have forty episodes to play with, and don't want to give too much away. You know, Booth, what they're doing over at Star Trek Prodigy. But if you're a fan of Star Trek Voyager, the live action series that ran on UPN from January of ninety-five through May of two thousand one. You're going to be loving what they're doing with Prodigy. I, I can't wait to see where the next ten episodes go. Speaking of which, we just got the mid-season finale. The first ten episodes of season one, second half of season one, Star Trek Prodigy is supposed to get underway sometime this fall.
1: Have you been actually following on Twitter how the unions, uh, the animation unions, are talking about how this practice of splitting up seasons is is sort of designed to keep people without uh, budget or pay increases. Um, it's very interesting. We always talk about how they, they order these lump sums mm. of episodes, and I never really understood why, and now it's sort of coming out that it's, it's a way of sort of keeping costs down and keeping people's pay down, which I thought was very Ooh. interesting. So I know we need to do a deep dive, deeper dive into all of this stuff. Um, we do, we but, do,
0: especially since isn't the guild gonna begin uh you know they, they stopped negotiations late last fall in fact just yep. for the holidays didn't they yeah uh, but with the idea they're gonna start up again in the spring. Yeah. Yeah we we should definitely do a deeper dive yeah. here. But when you go deeper you go lower. Yeah. And I also want to point out that if you're a fan of, of Paramount Plus's other animated Star Trek show, Lower Decks, back on January 18th it was revealed that season three will get underway this May. And even better news, season four of the Paramount Plus show has just been ordered. Can't wait. Yeah, they do good stuff there. But on the other hand, just because a subscription streaming service orders a bunch of episodes of an animated series doesn't necessarily mean that that show will actually eventually air. So
1: what do you make of what happened with the Boondocks revival? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, because they ordered like 40 episodes or something in 2019
0: okay so we're talking about the reboot of aaron magruder's peabody award-winning show this animated series which again was based on a comic strip that aaron created i heard an adult swim from uh 2005 through 2014 and what Drew's referring to is in 2019 word began to circulate that magruder and sony pictures animation was looking to revive boondocks and supposedly a lot of people were interested in the show, but HBO Max came out on top because they offered, as Drew just mentioned, a big pile, a big order. They, they were two seasons, 24 episodes. All of the original talk about this was the Boondocks uh, revival would debut on that subscription streaming service in the fall of 2020 with a 50-minute-long special. So fall of last year come, comes and goes without a single whisper from HBO Max about boondocks. If you poked at them a little bit, what you heard is, you know, it's COVID. It's COVID production-related delays. And, and during a pandemic, people would buy that. But just last week on the Geek Set podcast, Cedric Yarbrough, who voiced Tom Dubois on the uh, original run of Boondocks, revealed some just dis- really disappointing news. Uh, as Cedric said to Rudy Strong, who's the host of Geek at Podcast, I hate to say this, right now the show is not coming back. We've been wanting to do the show, and Sony, they've decided to pull the plug. One day, hopefully, we'll be able to revisit. Uh, I just wish the show was coming back. Are you hearing the same thing I'm hearing that Boondocks is no longer a go to HBO, but Sony isn't saying the show is dead, that they're reviewing their options? Yeah.
1: I mean it doesn't sound great right now, but keep hope yeah. alive, right? I don't know. Yeah. I it hope seems so. like now I mean, is a perfect time to bring it back. Oh uh-huh. god, yeah.
0: I loved how savage the satire on that show was and if, if ever there's a time where the pompous asses of the world need to be pulled up short, it's now, and yeah. it just makes you wonder: were any really produced? I mean, scripts written?
1: I mean, it's a great question. Yeah, especially with Proud Family coming back in a couple of weeks, which I've seen yeah. some of the episodes and they're they're wonderful. Oh, um, they look great. Yeah, I
0: mean, the show always looked good, and it just but based on the stuff I was saying. There's been absolutely no step down in quality. It's just sort of like just continued right on. Yeah. Speaking of great quality though, I hate to to enthuse over it's a five second long clip if that. Yeah. But the thing from Chris Williams Sea Beast between the the image that Netflix revealed and the clip is like oh, I want to see that movie now. Yeah. But this came part of a A major news dump from netflix they revealed what every original movie they're releasing in 2022
1: right uh yeah i think there's still going to be more obviously when they as they pick things up from festivals and stuff but yeah it, it sounds like this is the majority of netflix 2022 movies and the animated section is insane like the it's it's so much didn't we just get the teaser trailer for Pinocchio last week? There,
0: yes, there was
1: more Pinocchio stuff. Or? There was, I think, it was just a couple more shots of the cricket. It might have been from the same footage, but okay. you okay. know, they, the things that they didn't see, show were what I was curious about, like my father's dragon from our friends at Cartoon Saloon, and also the uh, Richard Linkletter animated space movie, yeah, which is premiering at this year's South by Southwest film festival. Really? Yes. Oh, so okay. We will be hearing about well, that soon, I'm sure. Okay. All right. Let, let, let's let's
0: put a pin in that one. Now, speaking of, of Chris Williams, CBS. Now, again, folks, you probably know Chris's name from the work he did at Disney. He was co-director of Bolt, Big Hero Six, and Moana, and it was what back in November 2018 they revealed he was leaving Disney for Netflix for his solo directorial debut for a project at that time that was called Jacob and the Sea Beast. Do you remember that? Or?
1: Yeah, it was like, called Jacob. Oh, wait, that's something else I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> that's my personal injury attorney. Sorry, yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. so, but yeah, again, nearly four years ago, uh, Chris, when he was talking with the trades about leaving Disney, it's like, Jacob and the Seabees is the kind of story I've always wanted to take on. It's a tale of high adventure where our hero leaves the known world and heads out into uncharted waters. And as it turns out, I'm doing the, the same thing. I'm grateful for the opportunities provided by my former creative home and I'm excited to leap into a new environment and I feel a great energy at Netflix as amazingly talented artists from a wide variety of backgrounds are coming together to build something new. Now, back then... The logline on Jacob and the Sea Beast was a charming seafarer who sails into uncharted waters and discovers an unlikely ally in a sea monster. But just today, if you go over to Netflix to learn more about this animated film, the title's been trimmed down from Jacob and the Sea Beast to just the Sea Beast. And then the movie's logline seems to have been jiggered a bit since 2018. It reads. A legendary sea monster hunter's life is turned upside down when a young girl stows away on his ship and befriends the most dangerous beast of them all. All right. Hmm. Sounds good. The footage was a
1: little Sinbad-y. I'm
0: so glad you said that. But for me, in a a good way... Yeah, I like Sinbad a lot. Yeah. Yeah, the Sinbad fan club meets in a phone booth. There's only a few of us. But on the other hand, the folks at Netflix seem to have a lot of confidence in Mr. Williams. Uh, Melissa Cobb, the vice president of kids and family, uh, had this to say about Chris. Chris is one of the most talented filmmakers working in animation today, and his distinct voice comes through in this touching tale of ancient hunters who struggle to capture a beautiful mythical sea creature on the high seas. is precisely the kind of grand, adventure-filled story with smart, nuanced characters that we look for in family animated projects at Netflix. And and now, downside is we don't have a specific debut date yet for Sea Beast. Likewise, Wendell in the Wild, but we also got... A tiny bit of animation Mm. and a couple of photos, but they looked great. Yes. This is the Netflix animated film that's coming from the Wicked Minds of director Henry Selleck and co-writer Jordan Peele. This is the animated feature Drew and I have talked about this for, about the tale of two scheming demon brothers who are going to be voiced by Peele and his longtime comic partner, Keegan-Michael Key, who then enlist 13-year-old Cat to summon them to the land of the living. And by the way, I want to remind folks, because we talked about this on an earlier episode of the show, if you head over to YouTube, Cats Punk Playlist, the channel that, that Netflix set up back on October 28th of last year to help promote One to One Wild, is still up and running. It's still offering free radio beats to chill and summon demons to.
1: And it changes, I think.
0: It does. Yeah. It does. So just want to share that with with you, Henry Solic fans out there. So, Okay. So we were just talking about Kat, the teenage girl who owns a Cyclops boombox. When Drew and I get back from this break, we're going to talk about a mouse who, oh my God, is wearing a pantsuit. Clutch your pearls accordingly. Drew, I know you're following this whole thing that came out of Euro Disneyland, who out ahead of the start of their the resort's 30th anniversary celebration. They revealed an image of Minnie Mouse wearing a pantsuit that had been created by UK fashion designer Stella McCartney. And did you know she's got a famous father?
1: I did. I actually just saw her recently at a special thing for that Beatles documentary in did you at really? the LCAP. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Yes. Wow. She was looking okay. very
0: stylish. I would imagine. Yeah. Based on the image of Minnie in her pantsuit. Now, she's good at this stuff. But anyway, okay, Euro Disney puts this, this image of Minnie in her pantsuit out, and the, the conservative media loses its mind. The thing that upsets them is what? That the French are corrupting this American icon who has always, always, always worn polka dot dresses? And that somehow by putting Minnie Mouse in a pantsuit, that this is Dishonoring or disrespecting America—is that? Is that, is that I, 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 I,
1: Jim? My uh, subscription to Fox News has <laughs> run out long ago, so I I will have to defer to you. But that is some real—that okay. is some real mental gymnastics to to put that.
0: Oh, first of all, I want to give you a credit where credit is due. Drew, I think on social media, you were the one who pointed out that. Uh, first of all, t- this isn't the first time Minnie Mouse has been at, at a pantsuit. You pointed to the totally mini thing?
1: Yeah, she had pants and a and a skirt on back then. I mean, she was um, very very 80s.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, this is 86 and this was when they wanted to make her more contemporary, more appealing to little girls of that age. So It was Minnie by way of Madonna and Cyndi Lauper, right?
1: We'll let everybody Google um, Minnie and Elton John singing Don't Go Mm -hmm. Breaking My Heart at the Santa Monica Pier.
0: (laughs) Yes. Okay. Prior to us recording tonight, Drew sent me a list of stories he wanted us to talk about. Because, again, our goal is to fill up a half hour, 45 minutes each week with animation news. And sometimes, some weeks, it's tough. Some weeks, there's not a whole lot going on. So I totally get what the news producer at Fox did. You know, it's a slow news week. They still have to fill up a half hour or an hour's worth of prime time. And you're looking at anything and everything that's coming in over the newswire. And here's this story about Minnie Mouse in a pantsuit. And it's like, I could work with that. I could pretend to be offended by that.
1: right? But did you see the video that they put out? She does. No. She doesn't wear. They have really cool new outfits that are kind of. They kind of have a metallic, plasticky, see-through kind of look to yes. all of them. Yeah, yes. and she's still yeah. in a dress. There, I don't know if she's actually going to be in pants in the park at all. No, it's 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 literally
0: you know look. Disney reached out, Stella McCartney to do this, they are going to create a limited line of merch that's tied to the 50th anniversary that's aimed at two specific, very small segments. Little girls who were really, really, really into Minnie Mouse and hardcore Disney collectors who were like, oh, I need to chase down the pin of Minnie in the Pantsuit. Don't get me wrong. I have great sympathy for the producer at Fox, who, again, I got, I got, I got to fill this
1: five-minute long hole. Okay,
0: hey, Minnie Mouse in a pantsuit, let's go after the French.
1: I don't have any sympathy for them, Jim. I'm just going to say that.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. But go after a real story, okay? Like, how are we all ever going to get We Don't Talk About Bruno out of our heads? You, of course, saw it is now official. It's the number one song in the country. Right. But that said, how would you like to have been the person at Disney? who, when you're submitting songs from Encanto for Academy Award consideration last November, you don't submit, we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah. I feel like Encanto.
1: that was probably some kind of group decision, and I'm sure Lin-Manuel had a hand in that. So if they shot them, themselves in the foot, there's a lot of fingerprints on that gun. Oh, no, I'm no, no, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, and you get it. I mean, it's not a ballad. Yeah, no.
0: wasn't it a, a whole new world from Aladdin? Was the very last time a song from a Disney animated film made it the number one? Right. I mean, again, if you look at—we don't talk about Bruno. It's an exposition song sung by a group. I mean, it's—it's yeah. it's like submitting Bell. You know, what a puzzle to the rest of us is Bell for the Academy Award. You know, no, you, you're not going to do that. You're going to submit. Be our guest. You're going to submit the ballad, but. Speaking of uh, Encanto and Disney's efforts to get this animated feature properly positioned for the Academy Awards, did you see where where the mouse is borrowing a page from the Mitchells versus the machines just this week? Put the art of Encanto uh, out
1: online. For, I did see that. That's another one that I have several copies of, thanks to Oscar <laughs> season. So if anybody needs one, <laughs> come on by. Uh, Here we go. There we go. I wanted to go back to Minnie for a minute, though, Jim. And did sure. you see that there's a Mickey Mouse documentary that's going to premiere at South by Southwest? I forgot to send this to no. you. Oh, um, wow. What's this about? Okay. So it's called Mickey, the story of a mouse. Mm-hmm. It's a feature length documentary. That will eventually be on Disney+. And it says, The Mickey Mouse is one of the most enduring symbols in our history. Those three simple circles take on meaning for virtually everyone on the planet. So ubiquitous in our lives that he can seem invisible. Mickey is something we all share with unique memories and feelings. Over the course of his nearly century-long history, Mickey functions like a mirror reflecting our personal and cultural values back at us. And it's got a really great team of filmmakers behind it. I think somewhat cynically it probably has um, something to do with the uh, upcoming copyright expiration on the character (laughs) but the documentary features interviews with our friends Eric Goldberg and Mark Hen and uh, Randy Haycock Floyd Norman who I used to work with Carmenita Higginbotham uh, our buddy Becky Klein from the archives Kevin Kern and everyone's favorite weatherman Bob Iger so It seems like a, quite a stacked uh, production, and I can't wait to see this. They're also doing a wow. documentary about robots that's also going to be at South by Southwest. So okay. a lot of fun stuff. Okay. Yeah.
0: Definitely keep that on the radar yes, for when it shows sure. up at Disney+. Plus. Speaking of stuff that you need to keep on your radar, folks, did
1: you see the stuff about Ghibli Park? I kind of have. I kind of am so upset, Jim, because, you know, I was supposed to go to, to Japan on my honeymoon back mm-hmm. in 2020. And then somebody caught a cold and we couldn't go. So, uh, yeah, I've just been, I've been sort of looking, but I'm like, I want to go to Japan so bad at the moment. It's um. sort of, but I saw, I mean, just the, the kind of like buildings are just so amazing looking.
0: Folks, what we're talking about here, at Ghibli Park. I have seen concept art that people have done for presentations to take to Hayao Miyazaki because they were desperate to bring these characters into theme parks. But each time, uh, Hayao said no; he didn't want his characters and his story in a typical theme park. Whereas the designers of of Ghibli Park, they came to him and said, "Look, we'll do this on your terms." So, for example, when it came time, you know, they will, you know, we're going to take you to the site in Nagake, Japan, he walks the site with them. And he literally would walk up to a tree and say, you can't take this one down. You can't take that one down. You can't take that one down. And so the designers then had to go back and work backwards from the fact that this was going to have to be a huge green open space. By the way, that's the other reason we're talking this up right now, is the, the Ghibli Park website just opened up. Yes. And here's the interesting boilerplate on on the website. Ghibli Park is being built on and within the grounds of Achi Earth Expo Memorial Park with close consultation with the surrounding forest. There will be no big attractions or rides at Ghibli Park. Take a stroll, feel the wind, and discover the wonders. Now, this, I guess, shouldn't really be a surprise because, what is it, the Academy of Motion Picture, Arts and Science of the Museum that just opened? They have the temporary Ghibli exhibit. And don't they have, as part of that, literally like a faux piece of grass that you're supposed to lie down on and then watch Ghibli produce clouds that go by? Or This is very consistent with his take on things. But the park itself opens in November. And, and at full build-out, it will feature areas that celebrate Miyazaki films like My Neighbor Totoro, Lapidak King, uh, Castle in the Sky, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, and Howl's Moving Castle. But when this place opens in November, they're only going to have three areas done. There's Ghibli's Large Warehouse, Youth Hill, and Dondo Kuromori. I have to tell you, Drew, I have longed to go to Japan For years myself, but one of the places I wanted to go was the Ghibli Museum.
1: Yeah, what's the status there? I don't know.
0: Actually, Alice was planning on going over to Japan in early 2019 to be there for the opening of Super Mario World and Universal Studios Japan. And then the pandemic happened, and she had to put a hold on that. So you're thinking
1: of going. Yeah, I mean, well, now I'm like, well, should I, I should probably wait until next year for fantasy, whatever the fantasy sea area is going to open oh. at Disney Sea.
0: Oh, God, you're right.
1: And also, things are still ever-evolving, as they say, in terms of travel, so.
0: All right, I,
1: I, okay. Listen, I'm just saying, Tammy. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, hello, that's an animation-themed area. New attractions. we got to do the Beauty and the Beast thing. I'm sure you saw that Pepper's Ghost effect that was being shared on yes. Twitter. And, uh, that was so amazing. It's one of those things that is the
0: craziest use. Of, uh, uh, what Drew and I are talking about, and you can find this footage online, folks, but it's the, the transformation of the Beast at the end of, of Beauty and the Beast when he, he becomes the prince. And they do it in front of you with the whole – Beast floating up, spinning around, and bang, we get the prince. And it's like, with practical effects in front of you. Yeah. With Pepper's ghost. It's like, It's just as impressive
1: dude, as the big reveal dude. in the Pirate's Shanghai ride where the skeleton becomes Johnny Depp. Well, all right. A different well, technology, let's, let's, right? Isn't that projection-based? Let me say something I don't normally say. I don't know. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah, stump me. But you right. know, But on the other hand, I like this idea. Perhaps we we should have a chat with Ms. Wilding. I do okay. about we do our first international trip and, That's right. and maybe bring a few folks along with us. So yeah. other news is we bring the show to a close. So you saw the news about Wild Brain acquiring the Rocky and Bullwinkle rights?
1: Yeah. I was wondering, if you, well, first of all, Wild Brain is one of our favorite studios, obviously. Mm-hmm. And they are doing yep. an amazing, they are the ones actually that do the animation for the new Proud family. And it is really, <laughs> it, things kicked up a notch, but. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering what this deal was from a legal standpoint because, as you and I have followed for so many years, mm-hmm. we thought DreamWorks owned this property. Yeah. So I what, mean, you are, you, you what know, do you think is going on? In the, the the article in the trades,
0: they talk about you know this deal covers distribution, production, and licensing of Jay Ward production portfolio, which in addition to Rock and Bullwinkle and George of the Jungle includes Mister Peabody and Sherman, Dudley Do we had uh, the Brendan Fraser, George of the Jungle, as well as that Lead to Red movie. Yeah. Likewise, we had DreamWorks do its Mr. Peabody and Sherman uh, feature, which I yep. always wanted to hear the Robbie Darnity Jr. version. I know. I want to hear his Mr. Peabody. Tell you what, you and I will both make some phone calls in the coming week and okay. see what we can find out here. Because again, DreamWorks also, in addition to doing the Mr. Mr. Peabody and Sherman feature film, they also had a television animated show, didn't
1: they? Yeah, I think there were three. There was there was a Peabody and Sherman show that they did for Netflix, and then there mm-hmm. there was, I think, a Rocky and Bullwinkle for Amazon and, and one other, but they were animated by Wild Brain, which is where things are getting choppy and untangling this. So they were animated by Wild Brain, but produced by... DreamWorks because they had bought that catalog that had you know Casper and all of these things. Yeah, no, no,
0: Classic Media. Yeah, Classic Media. Yeah, right. I remember that buy because it was just one of the. You know, it was sort of like you now own every lesser character known to man.
1: Right. Every every character you walk through that cartoon lagoon section of Universal and go (laughs) that hasn't been in a newspaper for seventy five years. But okay.
0: You know, I still but, I still remember going to the licensing show in Vegas when they landed that deal, and it was one of the things you walked up to the DreamWorks booth and went, ooh. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, that's what America's been waiting for, a new Richie Rich movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Something that everybody can identify with. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but Let's poke around and see if we can find out.
0: Because obviously Wild Brain... Bright bunch of people. I mean, think about it. They're the ones in, back in 2017 who made the move on the rights for Peanuts. They're not only great at animation. They're also very smart business people. So it's just sort of like they saw an opportunity here and moved. And it's just going to be interesting to see what they do with it.
1: When I was little, Jim, I took animation or uh, drawing classes from one of the guys that worked at, at the J. Ward studio back in Did Texas. you really? Yeah. Right. I uh, did terrible art, but I'm sure I have a drawing somewhere <laughs> of uh, Rocky and Bowling Cole That I'm trying to forget which animator it was that taught the class, but this was before I realized I had no talent. Um.
0: I, I can almost stop this. It used to actually be on Sunset. It was the Dudley Do-Right Emporium. What? They literally had a store on Sunset. and And what was interesting is they had in front of the store... They had a statue of Bullwinkle in an old fashioned knee length bathing suit, a striped bathing suit holding Rocky. It was made out of what looked like the worst quality of paper mache on the planet. But actually I visited that in the eighties during one of my first stays out in LA. I dealt with Jay's daughter, Ramona. She was the one wow. running the store at the time. And in the fine Jay Ward tradition, it was like, oh, okay, you know, can I have a price break on the What's up, matter You sweatshirt? Absolutely not. You're paying full price.
1: <laughs> uh, I love that. So I guess that's going to do it for this week, folks, for fine tuning. I Let me tease something for next week, though, Jim. Oh, what do we got? I'm going to be able to talk legally <laughs> about <laughs> turning red next week. Oh And uh, the 30 minutes I've seen and the conversation I had with writer-director Domi Shi and producer Lindsay Collins. Holy cow. Get ready for that. That means
0: we don't have to talk about Minnie Mouse in her pantsuit. Oh boy. We, <laughs> we, we, we can fill up the time legitimately. <laughs> On the other hand, if you want to listen to a good show, a really good show, what you want to do is you want to go over to Light the Fuse. Speaking of which what's coming up this week what do we got
1: well we got the second half of our great uh, interview with uh, Blake Howard who does all these minute podcasts have you seen these Jim where he actually breaks down a movie minute by minute it's oh. it's insane yeah he's start he's done it with uh, heat he's doing mm-hmm. it right now with zodiac I mean it is it's crazy the amount of work that goes into these episodes it makes our show look like even more of a you know Mickey Mouse operation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, So we've got the second part with him, and then coming up, we've got Jim Bissell, who you, I'm sure, know, Jim, as the production designer of, of things like Arachnophobia and The Rocketeer and uh, some movie called E.T. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but... A um, little film. Yeah, a little. Mm. And uh, he was the production designer on Ghost Protocol and um, Rogue Nation, and he tells us some amazing stories. It was just a pip, uh, a lot of fun, so... Animation um. fans are going to want to hear that, too. Um, yeah, it's it's really great.
0: Okay, I know I keep saying this, but honestly, if you're not following Drew on social media, you are missing out on some very cool stuff. Uh, so can you tell folks? How I just need you there, to or... like
1: more of my tweets, Jim, and retweet more <laughs> of my tweets. Because you're the one with 50 million followers on Twitter. That's Nancy, all right? Okay. I can barely operate my iPhone but but tell them tell them how to find you. Uh, you can find me at Drew Tailored like a tailored shirt on Twitter and Instagram. You can you can read a giant um, Star Tours article that I'm sure fans killer, of yours, killer, Jim,
0: absolutely killer Star Tours article. Kind of an amazing history of the attraction with the folks who actually worked on it talking about it. Right. Now, us on social media, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Gmail Media and over on Facebook as Gmail Media News. Uh, in closing here, uh, folks, if you want to help Drew and I out, you can head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, not just fine tuning, but also Light Diffuse. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool as well. Thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back soon.